Lily Rapuano, thank you so much for coming on to episode 52 of the Path to Fall podcast. Oh, it's wow. uh, it's great having you back. I haven't seen you in a year. Yeah, really. thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, I think probably last time I saw you was on Zoom last year in 11th grade English. Yep. And um, Maybe for some people who don't know who you are, where you're coming from, you can do a brief introduction if that is all right. Sure. Okay. So I'm Lily. I go to RPCS. I'm graduating this spring or very soon in Two. about a month. Yeah. Um, and I came to RPCS from McDonough. I went to McDonough from kindergarten through freshman year, and then I came to RPCS sophomore year. So I've only been going there about three years. Hmm. And I've been co-ed every, every year of my life in school except for sophomore year. Okay, so yeah. that last year coming to Gilman for classes was no it, it felt change. Mo- yeah, it felt, it felt normal. It felt much more comfortable than uh, than my sophomore year at RPCS because I've I've been in classes with boys and girls, you know, since I was in kindergarten. Like I know at Calvert they do elementary school, they do like separate but like technically co-ed. At McDonough it's all integrated. Um, and then sophomore year at RPCS was like I had no coordinated classes because uh, I think freshman and sophomore year they only do about like languages and then I had 11th grade English with you was my only coordinated class last year and now it's on zoom but most of my classes are coordinated what are your classes like this year how, how has it been going for you this year during COVID I've been taking a lot of English classes um I'm I'm really enjoying my course load this year um and in the earlier like parts of the year it was a little bit rough because it was hybrid or at first, you know, as you know, it was all uh, online and then it was hybrid. And then I went online for a while because COVID rates went up and I wasn't really enjoying coming to school as much, you know, just because the winter and it was cold. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I came back after February, I came back in March and then that was two days a week. And then ever since spring break, we've been doing four days a week and it's been, it's been excellent. It's been really nice to be back and like to see everybody most part people at RPCS are coming back in and you have pretty much full classes now? Most everybody in in my grade is back. Um, There are a few people who have been virtual all year who are staying virtual just to, you know, stick it out. But um, I think most people are back because they're realizing sort of it's the end and they want to they want to see everybody off. Yeah. This is your last week of classes as a senior, right? I think today was my, we're going to meet on Wednesday, but my senior elective is the last time we're meeting to this morning. Yeah. It's so crazy. we have, it was, this is a three day week for us. I've got two days of classes left. Wow. Yeah. So what are you going to do for the two, it's a two week uh, internship period, right? For RPCS. So the way RPCS is doing it is as a grade, we voted to sort of forego the senior projects and do like community service as a grade. So... After this week, we have Thursday and Friday off of school, and then we have um, next week three days of community service. Uh, and, you know, you could choose different ones. I think my friends and I are doing um, living classrooms. I can't remember which one. So that's just – that starts next week. You start mm-hmm. up with the – is it yeah. called the internship experience? or? Well, it used to be um, just senior projects, mm-hmm. uh, and you could pretty much do whatever you wanted. A lot of people did internships. Uh, a lot of people just, like – I guess some people traveled, some people did creative projects, but this year, yeah, just community service. I know Gilman does Senior Encounter. That's mostly internships, right? Yeah, I think they're still doing it this year. It might be a little condensed, yeah. but some guys in my my class were telling me about what they're doing. Tim, I, I teach Tim this year, and he was on the podcast, and he's going to – I think he's working on a farm or something. This, oh, these guys cool. have some cool, uh, yeah. cool things lined up, even though it's pretty short time. It's only two yeah. weeks, but – 
yeah, did this year cool. feel pretty fast or, or did it, was it just weird time-wise for you? We were talking about that today in my, my first period class. Some guys were like, this year flew by and other guys were like, it was super slow. I mean, looking back on it, it flew by, but you know, I remember how I felt day to day when I was online, like in the, in the dead of winter, it was so slow. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the way it usually is. But I think particularly senior year, you look back and you're seeing like, not just the year, but your whole high school career. And you're thinking, yeah, it really did fly by. What was, um, what were some of the highlights for you this year, given that it was so abnormal and you spent a lot of time online? Mm -hmm. Did you feel like you and your friends and your classmates found some silver lining, some highlights this year? So, you know, ironically, and, and what you wouldn't think would happen is that my friends and I have really become a lot more solidified this year. And like, we have a much more defined group and we, we are hanging out like all the time. So my mom this winter, uh, she bought a house in Utah and she was in and out over there, like moving in and everything. Um, and so a lot of the time it was just me in my house and I would, I would force my friends. This is when I was online. I would force my friends like, please come over. Like I need people around. I need people to cook for because I can't cook for myself and I'll just end up eating, you know, Taco Bell for every meal. We called my, we call my house the compound because everybody's there for their online classes. Oh, wow. Where in Utah? Um, she bought a house in outside Park City. Oh, cool. Um, and then, yeah. And then obviously I was in Baltimore. It's Park City pretty close to Salt Lake or? It's uh, about 45 minutes east of Salt Lake. So do you fly into Park City or fly into Salt Lake? You fly into Salt Lake and then just drive over. Cool. A lot of skiing this winter? Very good skiing. Yeah. That, yeah. That's why she bought the house. We're a big skiing family. Cool. Um, and she's got a lot of friends out there. That's awesome. So so what um, what's the plan for next year? You've, you've figured things out. University of Vermont, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to University of Vermont. Um, and I applied to this program, the Liberal Arts Scholars Program, where I got waitlisted, but then I got in. Um, and I, I'm doing like a humanities program where there are sort of smaller classes and it's just for freshman year and you live in a dorm with everybody in that program. So it's it's a it's a relatively large school, at least for me, for what I apply to. It's about 10,000 undergrad. Um, and so I'm, I've, I've sort of found the ability to make it feel smaller for myself, I think, in, in that and then just like being able to live with those people. How'd you find Vermont? Did you get to go up there at all this year? And how'd you, how'd you really explore or come to know that school? Well, I mean, I wasn't going to apply there. And then I did apply there as a, as a safety school because my friend Charlie Hiller, who's also going there with me, he was like, hey, you should apply there. I think you would like it. It's pretty cool. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's weird how you end up places. Like I, I thought my whole life I wanted to go to Brown and then I got deferred. I got rejected there. But I'm like... I'm very happy with my plan now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And great skiing up there, right? Great skiing. Yeah, I'm really excited. So w when did you first get into skiing? How did you? Oh, I've been skiing since I was three. Um, my dad grew up skiing and he, uh, he, he was a really, really good skier. Uh, and he skied like Stein Erickson down the, the moguls. And he tried to teach my mom how to ski. And, and she was like, no, I will take professional lessons. I can't take this from you. Um, and so they ended up just going to Utah out every year so that she could learn and out West in the, in the best snow. And then, you know, when they started having kids, uh, everybody got brought out there and I would go to ski school in my little bunny hill all day and then meet up with them at the end of the day. Oh, so you've had oh, yeah. training and everything. Yeah, I had, I went to ski school up until like eighth grade and I hated it so much because I just wanted to ski with my family, but I'm really glad I did it because, you know, it, it's like important. Yeah. 
What uh? What so fun fact? I've never been skiing. My mom's from Colorado. She's from Boulder. Um, grew up there. I think she, she's definitely skied, but I've yeah. never, I've never even skied. So yeah. I, I don't really know what it's what it's like. What do they teach you at ski school? Like, well, what, like technique and yeah. So you start out when you're little on on like the bunny hills, like like it's an enclosed area. It's not just the small sort of flat part of the mountain. It's like a totally fenced off area. And they've got this like treadmill thing that you send you back up when you're like a little kid. Um, It's called the magic carpet. (laughs) So they send you up that and then you ski down maybe like 20 yards, like a really, really small incline, just learning like you know, French fry pizza to, to, <laughs> to go speed up and stop. And then, you know, slowly they introduce like turns and stuff. And then you're on the mountain and you're basically in like a duck line following your instructor with all the other kids. Um, and then eventually you get good enough and you can do lessons in like the trees and stuff. It's really cool. It's awesome. You're going to have a great time at Vermont. And yeah, it's going to be awesome. So humanities program, mm-hmm. how did you decide on that? Uh, so I'm majoring in philosophy and um, I think – in most schools, that's considered a humanity, not a social science. It's, I think it's a humanity. It's kind of hard to decide. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was looking at the social sciences sort of classes that they offer in the liberal arts scholars program. And it was just like a lot of it was political science and stuff like that. And then I was looking at the humanities classes and it was like media and deciphering media and things like that, which I'm much more interested in. So I figured those classes would probably go toward my major better and I think just be very valuable to like teaching me how to think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, was that something that you became attracted to in high school or when did you start to really think philosophy was something that you enjoyed doing? Yeah, so I – it was definitely in high school. It was kind of over quarantine. I uh, was on YouTube a lot all day and, you know, how algorithms work. They can send you down rabbit holes and I, I got down this sort of rabbit hole of, of like political theory and then it went down this rabbit hole of – like political theory to, you know, just general theory and and like how to live your life. And then I I found these like channels and I really respected certain people who were talking about these things. And then I was like, and, you know, in in each of their videos, they would have their sources and they would list these books. And I I started reading um, Camus. I read The Stranger and I read The Myth of Sisyphus. And I just got really into like all the texts and stuff. Did you read the the plague? I haven't read the plague. It's no, a little, little too real during yeah. COVID. But I think that was one of the best sellers on Amazon. Yeah. Like right when. Oh COVID yeah, hit. absolutely. I remember I went to the bookstore with Charlie Nurnberger, and he was had to pick up a copy of the plague for his dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's pretty cool, and yeah. I certainly know what the YouTube rabbit hole is like. <laughs> I mean, I think that those algorithms, out of all social media and and you know the things that we watch, Netflix. I think YouTube has the best kind of recommendations yeah. for you. I I always fall down that, yeah. that YouTube, hole. YouTube can be dangerous, though, the way that um, it, it can send people down the wrong path sometimes and it can it can radicalize people in, in a really harmful way. But I think that, you know, having media that understands you can be a beneficial a lot, much of the time. You just have to know, you know, the caveats. So what were some of the other, you said you were taking a lot of English classes this mm-hmm. year and you did a lot of reading during quarantine. What else did you pick up during that time and what have you read this year? So, oh, that's a good question. I don't really remember. <laughs> I read, you know, it's all a blur. Uh, I read this book here, Her Body and Other Parties, uh, which is a contemporary collection of short stories by Carmen Maria Machado. I read... 
um, you know, those Camus books. I'm reading right now a book called Manufacturing Consent, which is a like book of media theory about the way that popular media and the money behind it can control popular opinion and especially in political ways. Um, so that's really interesting. But it is really funny because I'll be reading that like poolside and people look at me and see a thousand page book and they're like, what are you doing? Is it that thick? I, I mean, like it's maybe 800 pages. It's pretty thick and it's very dense. Wow. It's got all these examples from like history and it's there's a lot of things in it that it's like, I don't have the total background knowledge to understand exactly what this is saying, but maybe one day I will. <laughs> we'll send you down those rabbit holes yeah, again. Yeah, exactly. That's great. Um, what? Tell me about media theory because I don't know too much about it. Well, I don't really either. It's it's mostly just, I don't know if media theory is the right word. It's A lot of it is intertwining with like political theory and it's just sort of how like popular media, like, like news media and a lot of the times... Um, movies like like big budget movies can affect like the ways that a population will see something like if you think about sort of like if you think about like the red scare um and like mccarthyism in america which i don't know too much about either is very much oriented towards like the way that um communist countries were portrayed to justify sort of like america interfering in that and like just sort of having um these like figureheads go about it in a very, I don't know, like have moral appeals and have uh, just a, a way to sway the populace. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, and it can go both ways. So really how the media plays a hand in politicizing. Yeah. Well, it plays a hand in politicizing and plays. So it's called Manufacturing Consent, the book, because the media sort of, it, it, I mean, it, it exactly is, it's a, it does exactly what it says. It, it manufactures consent in the population for, you know, whether it's a military or, you know, it's a business um, making a certain political decision like uh, publicity center or whatever it is, um, it sort of has it, – it forces the population or, or not forces, but it sort of causes the population to be okay with it and to think that it's all right, whatever it is. Hmm. I'm not that deep into the book, so how I don't did, really know. <laughs> how did you uh, go down – like how did you become interested in this subject? Um, I think – that since that's a good question um a lot of my life i've been just sort of accepting of you know whatever whatever people are saying um on the news and things like that and i think that a lot of the time it can be very it can be falsified and and that's not like i'm not saying fake news i just mean like there's a certain thing in america where They'll call, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders a socialist and, you know, he's a he's a social Democrat. And there are two different things. And the socialism is um, like, I don't know, Venezuela. And uh, Bernie Sanders is very much working within the system of America. But, it, you know, we're skewed toward the right in America. And that sort of plays a hand in, in all of the news stations just sort of labeling things as they are in America and creating uh, a, a scale that is sort of unique that isn't aware of the rest of the world and like how far left or far right people really are. Right. Yeah, I think um, I think I'm also interested in this media theory, mm -hmm. but I kind of get all of my kind of get all my opinions and my thoughts through long form podcasting, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast because instead of watching the news where there are just snippets shown, right? There's just snippets of the debate and there are sound bites, and mm -hmm. you only get kind of the narrative of what the news media wants you to see, 
the long form podcast, it really allows you to get to know someone on a deeper level and find out more about their ideas. Um, and that's, that's why I think this is such a powerful tool because you can really dive deeper into some of these narratives, some of these political theories and what people really think where it's not just, you know, a five second clip. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree with that. And I think that it's really beneficial to get outside perspectives from individuals who aren't necessarily having other motivations behind them. Like if you think about uh, big publications, like if you take, I think it's the Wall Street Journal uh, was bought by Jeff Bezos and like he can push his agenda with his money and then, you know, the Koch brothers can push their agenda with their money and, and they have a lot of media. And I think it's really, that's why I like long form YouTube videos too, is because it's these individuals doing their own research and sort of being independent of any outside forces. I really enjoy that. Yeah, and that's also where your previous point about you can you can get into this, but then you can go down the wrong rabbit holes yeah. and you can start to be a little bit, you know, conspiratorial, Absolutely. which, you know, some people are, might be onto something, but mm -hmm. it is easy with these algorithms. They, they just feed you kind of what you yeah. want to hear and what you've clicked on before. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's this one channel called Prager University on YouTube that um, it can be informative. Uh, I don't know about that. Personally, I don't think it can be particularly informative, but I'm, I haven't watched a lot of the videos and they're, they, I don't agree with a lot of things they're saying. They're very uh, right wing, but they have this tactic of it's very short form videos and they have this tactic of displaying graphs without labeling the axes to sort of skew the opinion in a certain way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's everywhere. Yeah. And, um, but it is interesting. And I think, I think media theory, is that, is that a major? Is that something that you could or minor um, or something you could study? A media year? studies is a major, but I think that's sort of t more oriented towards producing media and, and like in, you know, the intricacies of that business. I think, I think philosophy will allow me to sort of take what I learned with that and apply it to popular media. And I'm which, sure there are classes yeah. too that maybe focus in on, Absolutely. on this, but that's really cool. Yeah. So what are some of the classes that you're taking this year at RPCS? Do you have any classes at Gilman this year or is it all um, over there? This year, I think the only class I took at Gilman, yes, uh, is this semester with Mr. Smith's creative writing. Oh, cool. It's an awesome class. Great. Um, and then first semester, I was taking a class called Women in the Wilderness, which was really good. That was just about sort of we learned a lot about indigenous people, um, especially women. And we read a book called, oh, shoot, what was it called? Um I can't remember what it's it was right. called, <laughs> it's okay. but uh, it was about like homesteading uh, in the Appalachia and it was really good. Um, and that and, was a class over there? Yeah, that was a class with uh, Miss Fitzpatrick at RPCS. And then I'm taking her class again this semester, which is feminist Gothic literature. We read Jane Eyre and Sing Unburied Sing and Haunting of Hill House. How was Sing Unburied Sing? Oh, it's really good. Yeah. Um, I like Jasmine Ward a lot. She's She's very good at sort of weaving together a lot of aspects of people and their identities and like sort of showing the whole picture is really interesting. Yeah, she's a great writer. Mm -hmm. Taught um, Salvage the Bones. I don't know if I taught that last year in your class, but I taught it my first yeah. year teaching here at Gilman, and it's an amazing book. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about that, and, and I like Jasmine Ward a lot. I have only read Sing I'm Married Things, Sing, though. I, I never read Salvage the Bones. A lot of my friends did, though. So you're enjoying your English classes. Any, any other teachers or classes that you've really liked this year? I feel like the seniors that I've talked to, I talked to Teddy Conover on here and some of my students and Tem was on the podcast. They've really enjoyed their classes this year, even though yeah. it's been such a kind of dysfunctional year and difficult in a lot of ways. Well, it's really nice because, you know, as in the tri-school, you don't really get the opportunity to take electives until senior year. And 
and you know you're still obviously taking your classes seriously and you, you got your calculus and your APs or whatever it is but um, at the same time I get to take you know all those English electives and then first semester I took a history elective international relations with uh, Miss Archie and that was that was a good class we learned a lot about current events and it's always fun to sort of dive into that in an academic sense rather than like a reactionary and just like a you know, like you said, the soundbite sense. Yeah, for sure. I took an international relations class in college and I think it was, it was one of the hardest classes because we did a lot of game theory. Yeah. And anytime you're, anytime it's mathematics or just that kind of thinking is not, it's not in my ballpark. So yeah. I, I had a hard time with that, <laughs> but um, that sounds like a great one. Yeah, that was fun. And it, you know, we didn't delve too deep into it. It was mostly just like, here's what's happening in the refugee crisis and things like that. So it was, it was like modern history, not, not exactly current events, but you know, history that you don't learn on the AP curriculum because they don't care about that as much. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was interesting. I enjoyed that. So let me ask you, what was the biggest change or what, what was maybe the difference that you noticed between RPCS and your longtime experience at McDonough? Like what was that transition like for you? So, you know, I went to McDonough for 10 years and it's interesting because I don't really remember that much of it. <laughs> um, I, I have like little snippets, uh, and, but I, you know, and, and I don't, I don't, you don't take a lot of memories of your middle school classes because it's like science, algebra, like it's not, you know, interesting and, and, and specified electives, but my one English class, my freshman year English class, I took honors English and it was all structured around Harkness discussions. That's one thing that McDonough does really well in their English department is, you know, you walk through Allen building is, is their upper school, their main upper school class building. And you peek into each classroom and there's Spanish classrooms and they have regular desks. And then like all the other classrooms are just like Harkness tables. Mm -hmm. And it's really nice. And, you know, I really enjoy that structure. Um, and we do some of that in the tri-school, but, but not a lot of the classes are structured, uh, you know, specifically that way. And that class my freshman year with, uh, his name was Mr. Abbott. He's a really good guy. He, uh, he taught a lot of short stories and we read Huckleberry Finn and Catcher in the Rye. Um, was that an American literature class at McDonough? It was American literature. Yeah. We, we had a six American poets book um, with a lot of really wonderful poems. And it really, that class really like changed the way that I, I was able to view the world just through seeing a piece of text and, and getting to take more out of it than was on the page. So um, the Harkness method of an English class is Really, the only thing that he did, Dr. Abbott, Mr. Abbott, Mr. Abbott, yeah. Mr. Abbott in that class was really the only thing that he did to make that a heart to this discussion was have the furniture, like the table in the room. Or is there something else well, that, that makes you think of a Harkness discussion? Yeah. So um, I think that that was more of a McDonough thing is saying, like, we're going to have our English department do this structure this particular way and we're going to go all in for it. So we're going to, you know, set up the classrooms in this particular way. But I don't think that's necessary in all contexts, but um, I do think it's nice to show like, this is how it's gonna be structured every day. We're never gonna do like a, I don't know. I don't know what English classes do, like um, like presentations or anything. We're just gonna do discussions. And the thing I think of when I think of that particular class is essentially the students ran it and Mr. Abbott would sit at the head of the table and he would sort of ask vague guiding questions and and he would say like well you guys are on to something here but let's examine this part what do you think of this like why do you think she thinks this mm -hmm. and 
the thing that was really nice about that class was it was an honors class and there was a lot of new people at McDonough that are really smart because it's really hard to get into McDonough in high school versus when I came in kindergarten. Um, <laughs> but those sort of voices could drive the class in a really nice way. And even I think for Mr. Abbott, he would hear new ideas that he'd never heard, even though he'd been teaching for a long time. Oh, absolutely. What was the what was the expectation for the students? If it was student centered and you were required to participate the whole time, how did he enforce those expectations on on you? You know, I think that it was really just participation driven and I don't think he was, you know, keeping tallies. I think he was sort of looking back on the semester and thinking like, yeah, that that person made really good points. That person contributed a lot or like, yeah, that person was quiet. But when they did speak up, they, you know, made a lot of really good points and they sort of helped drive the class. Um, And, you know, I don't know. I wasn't inside his mind, but I Mm -hmm. never saw him keeping tallies or anything. And then we had vocab quizzes. So that was like a part of our grade, too. And of course, essays. Because I, I had the same experience more so in college than in high school. High school was we didn't have a Harkness discussion or anything like that. But those are the classes that I always enjoyed. And that's how I try to set up my class, too, is for the students to, like, teach everyone else. Right. You learn yeah. most from your peers than you would from me just sitting up there and lecturing at you. So I'm just wondering maybe how that experience with Mr. Abbott might be different from your classes now. And Yeah. So. Um, when I first came to RPCS, my sophomore English class was very like, and and most of the English classes I take are are have just been like, a teacher will present a slideshow and it'll have quotes on it, and we'll go around the classroom raising our hands and being like, yeah, I think this means this. I think it's interesting about this particular point reveals this or whatever maybe, um, and and it was the teachers bringing to the table those particular quotations and those passages and things, and I think that can be very valuable too. But I am very, very glad that I had that freshman year English class beforehand that sort of taught me how to participate in a constructive way. And instead of just regurgitating the quotes back uh, that are on the slideshow and saying like, yeah, or having, interesting. Yeah, or having to talk about the quotes that the teacher finds yeah, most exactly. interesting, right, mm-hmm. rather than your own. Mm-hmm. Um, so going to McDonough co-ed school and having some coordinate classes between RPCS and Gilman what differences do you notice between like the co-ed experience and then the all girls or all, you know, yeah, just the all girls classes at RPCS? Well, in sophomore year, so, you know, you have to remember I only really had like one year of this experience. Soft, um, yeah, just sophomore yeah. year, yeah. And then, uh, so I, I'm, I'm going to stick to talking about English classes in particular because that's really where I thrive. But uh, <laughs> my <laughs> my English class was like, everybody, I think, felt more comfortable participating. And, you know, I was already comfortable participating because I enjoy English. I know that, like, I have some profi- proficiency in it. Um, but I think people were more comfortable than I had seen them in their coordinate classes. Like, everybody was pretty rambunctious, more than girls I'd seen at McDonough. Like, I think everybody really just felt at home. And I don't think that's necessarily just a class thing. I think that's, like, uh, the environment that's fostered when it's when it's just girls and there aren't boys around and there's, it's not, like, performative or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in our coordinated class last year, I was I was ready to go. I was ready to participate. You were ready to go, for sure. Yeah, but I remember, like, uh, many of the first weeks was oriented towards, like, icebreakers and, like, having people get to know each other so they're more comfortable. Um, and it was weird to see how, like, the girls didn't want to talk and the guys, they didn't want to talk either. Yeah. In a lot of my classes at McDonough, they were the, the, the boys were very forefront with their voices. And coming to a coordinated class, it's like everybody is so uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, well, you probably had a similar experience that I did because I went to – a public school yeah. my whole life and I had girls in my class 
all the time. So coming to Gilman and having like this experience where it was the first time the girls and the guys were in the same room, my first year teaching, it was like crickets. It was so hard to get everyone comfortable. So that's kind of what I tried to focus on in Mm -hmm. your class last year was just making everyone like, this is supposed to be fun. You're supposed to just say what you think and what's on your mind and, you know, not have so many reservations. Like we're trying to explore a little bit here, but Got to have some icebreakers, I think, in the beginning. I think we all bonded over our Kahoot competitions. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the ways. Yeah. You know, competition will bring <laughs> bring out the true self yeah. for sure. Um, so, Lily, looking back on your high school experience, three years at RPCS and one at McDonough, but maybe we could just focus on RPCS since you're graduating from there. Um, who were some of the teachers that played a huge role in your life and really influenced you? So... You know, we could just talk about RPCS, but I do want to bring it back to Mr. Abbott for a second. He he really influenced me, as I said before. He sort of helped me uh, understand how to view the world and got me really interested in English. And then sophomore year, Miss um, RT, my AP World History teacher, she was tough on me. She And I don't think she liked me sophomore year, but we have a good relationship now um, since I've been in her senior elective and just, like, been around school. She's she's great. She's, she's a really good... Uh, sort of adult to have in my life um, that I can rely on. And then I would say Miss Fitzpatrick from my English teacher or from my English classes this year has been really awesome. Um, and then my history teacher last year, uh, Miss Marks, AP, AP, AP US history. She's excellent. She's, she's really fun to be around. Um, I like her a lot and she's, you know, Katie Jurdy, she's Katie's advisor. So we we're in there a lot and, and, you know, she's, I feel like history teachers are always much more approachable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was what's Miss Marks like? I actually I don't know if I've met her in person. Miss Marks is I don't know how to describe her. She's very fun to be around. She's she's stressed out all the time, but like <laughs> in an endearing way. Um, and she's just she's a really good teacher, and she's very on top of it. Um, and you know she prepared us very well for the AP exam, and also like. We're sitting in her classroom and it's it's so it's such dense material because it's this AP curriculum and it's it's this new textbook and it's like this thick and mm-hmm. it's like not really a textbook it's it's like a book yeah. that you're flipping through and it, and it was, I think maybe her first year teaching that um, so that was hard and then we're sitting in these classrooms and she's just sort of reading off a slideshow because because we have so little time to get to to fill the curriculum before the AP exam um, and like. It wasn't boring and Mm. I would zone out in any other class, but like I'm not that U.S. history is particularly interesting to me, but like it was fun. I really enjoyed the people in the class, people I was with and Miss Marks. It was good. Um, I'm interested in the AP curriculum because I don't know what I think about AP classes in general. What was your experience like taking AP courses? I, I definitely have some problems with AP courses, I think particularly for history. So I've taken... What have I taken APs in? I'm taking AP Psychology. I took AP AB Calculus. And those two have worked for me. Those are good um, because calculus is very like, you know, it's just what it is what it is. And psychology is is a science. So it's sort of like that, but it's a little more, you know, open to interpretation or whatever. But then history, I had some issues particularly with U.S. history because just the way that College Board does it is is they emphasize certain periods of history much, much more um, versus like you, you don't, there's nothing about indigenous people on U.S. history exam, if at any, if at all, like maybe one multiple choice question. And then where same, does it start usually? Where does the course well, start? So I can't really remember the particular periods, but I think U.S. history is separated into nine periods. Um, 
like in terms of the curriculum. So it starts, uh, I think U.S. history starts in 1492, like when the new world was discovered. Um, and then, you know, we don't really learn about any of the indigenous genocide or anything like, th anything like that. You know, Miss Marks tried to put that in, but then she was like, ah, we need to go. We don't mm -hmm. have time to learn. This is not going to be on the exam. That's the only thing about AP is the, there's the so, time yeah. crunch and this, the subject matter yeah. crunch. Yeah. Well, it's the time crunch that really gets it because it's like, even if this isn't on the exam, a teacher could sort of uh, implement that if they wanted to, if they thought it was important. But, you know, they don't have time. Right. Especially right. for U.S. history because everything is very detailed. Like world history, things aren't very detailed because there's so much to cover. Mm -hmm. But for U.S. history, it's like, when was this? What were the years that he was president? Like all that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. It's something to think about as AP. Um, I took a couple. I took AP Psych, which I loved. I loved yeah. that class. Um, so thinking about if if I'm an eighth grade girl at RPCS and I'm coming into the high school and, you know, I don't know what to expect, what, what advice would you give someone kind of going into the upper school now that you're graduating? I would say that, you know, you have to engage with it and you have to sort of, you have to make friends. And it, for me, one of the highlights has been like, I have a friend group at Roland Park and we're, we have counterparts at Gilman. Like we have, I'm, I'm equally close with the guys in our friend group as, as the girls. Um, and it's really nice for me because like, I've always been friends with guys, you know, going to McDonough. Um, and I think it's important to engage with that and important to engage with the tri-school or at least, you know, just the boys to have sort of that interconnection. Like if you want to take Latin, take it at Gilman. Like if you want to take, like, like if you're not sure what language to take, take Latin just to go to Gilman. Like who knows what'll happen. It might be fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I would say, and, and I sort of failed at this because I was still competitively swimming when I came to Roland Park. So I, I didn't have time to join any clubs, but you know, that's, that's important. And that's always like a good way to meet people, especially upperclassmen, um, and sort of like mentor you and just engage with the community. Yeah. That's awesome advice. I think, I just think there's so much value in those coordinate classes because I'm just thinking about some of my friends in college who went to all boys schools, unlike Gilman, who don't have that option, right? They came to college and they're like, girls in the same class? This is so <laughs> weird. I was like, it's really not, but I think it is. So, there's so much value to actually learning alongside girls and people who are different from you and yeah. you know, hearing a different perspective on things, especially in humanities and English yeah. classes. That's the thing that I'm, I think I'm most excited for in college is just, and you know, people at, at University of Vermont are a little bit of a monolith. Like it's, it's not a particularly diverse school because it's the Northeast and it's in Vermont, but I'm very excited to see like diff people who come from different backgrounds, you know, even if it's not so different, it's not so stark, but like, I want to see other people's perspectives. And mm -hmm. I think that I could get that anywhere that I would go to college. Like I'm excited to go into these discussion-based classes and hear like, well, here's what I have to bring to the table because of the things that I've experienced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the best. What is um, Burlington like? Have you been Have you been there yet? Yeah, so we went and visited Burlington, me and Charlie Hiller and, and two of our friends um, before we both decided to go there. And so Burlington is very much a college town, um, but it has this street that's like just pedestrian, no cars can go on it. Uh, and it's oh, like, really? and it's like, I think it's church street. Um, cause it's like, you know, that's, there's, there's cross streets and then there's streets like this. Uh, but, but you know, there's this one that's just pedestrian. Um, and it's super dog friendly. Dogs are everywhere. And there's a lot of like small business, like restaurants and things like that. And then there's a big Ben and Jerry's cause that's where they're based. Oh, really? I yeah. Didn't know that. Um, and then it's on Lake Champlain, which is really, really beautiful. We were there on a, in a really good time. Um, 
like where it wasn't too cold it wasn't snowing even though it's still kind of snowing up there but um mm-hmm. we took pictures by the lake it was really nice we skipped rocks for like two hours <laughs> it was really fun yeah if but you then, like the outdoors that's, oh, yeah, that's the place to go yeah and then and then uh charlie and i went up to the campus and one of his like family friends or something like that she gave us a tour around i think she was a freshman um and then we both left and we were like yeah we're gonna go here i'm gonna yeah. go here <laughs> is it in the mountains is that um is there a mountain range right there or? so the near it's like there's mountains surrounding it just because it's i think like the green mountain range it's like small mountain range um but they do like a shuttle every every like Friday, Saturday, Sunday to to the mountains that are about like I think forty five minutes away to go ski on. So that it's it's very like oriented towards like yeah we know what you want to do this weekend we'll get you on the bus. That's great. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, all right, well tell me a little bit about your book recommendation. I hadn't right. heard of this, and I I really expected you to bring in a Cormac McCarthy <laughs> book because I know you're into his work. Yeah. But w- what is this book you brought? So this is called Her Body Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado, um, who is a queer woman uh, writing. You know, right now it's not an old book. It, I think it came out in 2019, um, and she has one other book out. It's a memoir that I haven't read, but this book is. Um, a collection of short stories and it's mostly I mean I don't think you can ascribe one theme to it but I think maybe the overarching message of it is like the commodification of women's bodies and like just how sort of society can frame women in a certain light but she does that not in a preachy way but in a very supernatural way so the first story in the book is called the husband stitch and so this woman has a green ribbon around her neck and the whole time her husband's like, let me touch the ribbon. I want to touch the ribbon because it's like the one part of her body that that is inaccessible to him that she's like laid down the law and said like, no, you can't. And then spoilers. But at the end of the story, she she lets him touch the ribbon and he unties it and her head falls off. So oh my God. it's like and I think that's a reference to a book. I can't remember what it's called. Something dark. Um where like every woman has a green ribbon somewhere on their body and and at the end of the book they untie it and she gets beheaded or something it's Mm. like a reference to a different book or a different short story but i really liked that one um and then there's another one called real women have bodies where uh and it's this is what i like about it is that it's supernatural um is like this woman's working at like a dress shop and she notices that like these girls are going missing um and she like one day she walks into the workshop where the woman who makes the dresses is and it's like all these girls like in a figurative sense but in sort of a real sense are like ghosts being sewn into the dresses so they're like becoming that thing that is being sold for like beautification and like glamorization oh, so wow. it's like so you can take it in a literal sense but it's also like sort of hard to understand because it's like I don't understand how these women are being sewn into these dresses and they're ghosts, but they're physical and like, what's going on? So it's very open to interpretation and it's really, really interesting. Have you always really enjoyed the genre like this or do you usually like more realistic works or is this new for you or? This is a unique book and I've never read anything like it. I'm sure there are things like it and she's very inspired by um, Shirley Jackson. I love Shirley Jackson. Shirley Jackson's great. Um, and we read Haunting of Hill House this semester, which I really enjoyed. And uh, so I like that sort of like gothic, sort of supernatural, very, very ambiguous tone that both both authors have. Um, but I also really like, like we were talking about, I really like Cormac McCarthy, where it's just like 
there's there's this backdrop that may be a little hard to believe, like in the road, but then it's a very, very human story. Or in Child of God, there's this backdrop that is easy to believe, and then it's like this sort of shocking story where you you hope you never meet anything like the main character, Lester Ballard, in that. I need to read that. I've, yeah. What is the backdrop to Child of God? Well, it takes place in Appalachia, and it's like this man... Got, gets out of jail for after being falsely accused of uh, rape, and he's crazy and he's he's like antisocial in that he he does not adhere to societal norms at all. And the whole, I I don't remember the book extremely well because I read it you know two years ago or a year ago. Um, and COVID has warped yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, what is time? Anyway? What is time? But um, it's and then he does some really messed up stuff, and he like there's murder and there's some gross things and it's it's very interesting though because it's just sort of like unraveling this person's psyche it's really interesting i would love to uh talk and it's to, short is it short it's 140 pages short probably one of his shortest books oh, definitely yeah i would love to talk to that guy cormac mccarthy i wonder what he's like my mom's met him oh really yeah my dad grew up um and across the street from his sister. So, like, my, my grandmother and, and Cormac McCarthy's sister are, like, good friends. Or they were when my dad was growing up. Really? Yeah, so my mom's met him at a dinner is party. Is he from New Mexico or where is he from? I don't know where he's from. I don't know very much about him. I know he lives there now. but Yeah. He's a quiet guy, apparently. He probably doesn't want to go on any, <laughs> on any podcasts like this. Yeah. Um, you don't want to delve into his Is that marriage. how you got into Cormac McCarthy? Is that connection or is it just, I, I just happened? I didn't even know that until I was reading the book and my mom comes in and she's like, oh, I like Cormac McCarthy. Did you know that Grammaire is friends with his sister? And I was like, oh, cool. That's weird. <laughs> Did she tell you about their interaction when, when they met? She told me a little bit about it. I mean, he was she was sat next to him, I think, at a dinner party. Um, and like <laughs> she said, one thing is... He loves the ladies, and he doesn't want to talk about his books. He probably doesn't want to say anything yeah. about. Yeah, no, I such mean, an interesting guy. Very interesting guy. He, he doesn't want to reveal too much, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would either. If yeah. I was, I think that one major thing about being an author, if if I were to ever do that, would be I'm never going to tell you what I intended about a certain work. I want you to take from it what you will. Right. It's like it's like a magician telling his tricks. Right. Yeah. It's like. Um, what was the creative writing course for you like this year? Did you enjoy doing your own writing? Yeah. So first semester, I wrote a short story for my Women in the Wilderness class that was really interesting to me. And that was my sort of – I've written a lot of poetry like in, in school and outside of school just for fun. Not not good poetry, but <laughs> – um, and then to start. that was the first time I wrote like a short story for a semester. Uh, and then I immediately, that was like the final project for first semester. So I immediately dove into the short story for our creative writing class. And the thing that Mr. Smith does really well is he can have you do all these writing exercises and they they can seem so futile and so annoying. Mm -hmm. But then you do them and you're like, okay, wait, I'm not going to include this bit. But like, since I added this sort of internal monologue from this character, I really understand her more and I can like write her better without putting the exact motivations on the page. Just like me personally understanding this character's motivations can have me communicate them better without saying them explicitly so it was really helpful and he emphasizes revision a lot um and it was really helpful to get feedback from him on my short story and just sort of saying like the conventions of writing here you could use this certain thing better like the conflict could boil over in this way it was it was really um interesting to well, hear from it was him. the hardest part of writing short stories for you was it 
trying to know your characters better or develop voice? The hardest part for me, I think, was sort of getting what I meant out because I have this thing where, where like, if I'm doing something creative, I'll, I'll be falling asleep thinking about it. I'll wake up thinking about it. Um, and it's not necessarily all constructive thoughts. It's not like, oh, look what could happen here. It's just, like, going over this person's, like, life from childhood to where they are now to see, like, what could have happened to them that would motivate them? And do I include that in the story or do I just keep that to myself and have it just be part of their you know, psychology. Mm. Um, and I think that it's really hard to get that out when you have this sort of intrinsic understanding, but you can't articulate it even to yourself. So writing it is really difficult. Hmm. Interesting. That sounds like a great class. I've talked <laughs> to a few people in that. Yeah, it was um, awesome. Well, cool. It sounds like you're having a good year. You're excited to graduate in a couple weeks and oh <laughs> go to the next, next step. It's going to so be awesome. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming thank on the, for the podcast. It's, it was a great conversation and uh, definitely look forward to seeing you and seeing you know how your experience next year goes. Absolutely. Great sure talking gonna, to you. You're going to love it. A little <laughs> skiing up there, some books, nothing better. Nothing better. <laughs> skiing and books. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Thanks.